And lovely to see you all on this, I was going to say fine spring morning, but it's not particularly fine, is it? Um, but it is lovely to see you. Um, can I just say, for some reason, in our evening service, the seats that fill up last are the ones on the right-hand side, the first front few, few rows. On the left-hand side, in the morning, it's the, it's the opposite way around. Anyway, just an observation. I don't know what that says about us, but it was just going through my head. Right, um, in your Bibles, if you could turn to Romans chapter 8, this is the set reading for the day. We're going to be reading verses 6 to 11 together. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 11. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are in the realm, not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder what you think our church's greatest need is. What do you think the church's greatest need is? David Watson, writing over three decades ago in a book called Be Filled with the Spirit, wrote this. The greatest need of today is spiritual renewal. Both individual Christians and whole churches need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. We live in a precarious world, tottering on the edge of an appalling precipice of disaster. Quite apart from the ever-increasing threat of terrorism, massive starvation and intensified violence, relationships at every level are falling apart. Only the Spirit of God can change the heart of people and create a revolution of love in our society. Now this, is particular, this next bit is particularly pertinent for us today, particularly in the Church of England. The crisis of the church today is not primarily doctrinal or moral, serious as these are. Above all, we face a crisis of powerlessness. Nothing less than the power of God can save the church from spiritual death and the world from total destruction. We need, more than anything else, spiritual renewal. We need spiritual renewal. Now, what did David Watson think that that spiritual renewal was? Well, he, the rest of the book is a book about that. And if you want a copy of this book, and I've brought in loads today, um, please come and ask me for one at the end. You can take it for free. Um, David Watson thought that spiritual renewal was being filled with the Holy Spirit, meeting with the presence of God. And that's exactly what we're going to be thinking about today. 
For the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Vision 2023, and we've been thinking about where God might be calling us as a church over the next few years as we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in the Northeast as in heaven. And last week, we were delighted to announce, well, the Bishop of Newcastle was delighted to announce that Adam and Abby, the wonderful Adam and Abby, are going to be taking a team from here to go and graft into and revitalise St. Luke's Newcastle, which is wonderful, wonderful news. That's one small step that we're going to take in order to see the, the enti- pray and see the entire region transformed by the power and presence of God. There's been other things that we've been thinking about as well. We've been thinking about how we're called to love Newcastle and give away all that we have for the sake of the city. We've been thinking about building community and being family together. And we've thought about following Jesus as we make encounter with God a priority. And I've got to say, over the past few weeks, we've seen people encountering the presence of the living God in the most beautiful ways. We've been hearing lots and lots of stories of salvation, lots of stories of healing. We've been sharing some of those um, with you through social media. Um, We've seen that encountering the presence of God changes everything. It's been really beautiful. I'll talk a little bit about this later on, but it's been really beautiful to see our evening service, young people in particular, so hungry for the presence of God that it's been going on for hours and hours and hours. Half past 11, midnight, one o'clock. People just do not want to leave the presence of God. I've seen people that have been following Jesus just for just a matter of weeks, prostrate before the Lord in his presence and meeting with him. Encountering the presence of God changes everything. We can talk about vision all we want, but if we don't have the presence of God, we don't have anything. And our vision will be completely and totally useless without the presence of God. So, Similar to Brogan's question that he started with last week, and if you didn't hear Brogan's talk, I do encourage you to go back and listen to it. What is the point of worship? Why is it that you've chosen to get out of bed today, an hour earlier than any of a normal week, because the clocks have gone forward, well done for remembering. Why have you chosen to get out of bed on a Sunday morning when you could have had a lie-in, watched Netflix, or gone to play golf? Well, James K.A. Smith wrote this. The church's worship is a uniquely intense sight of the Spirit's transformative presence. We must never lose lose sight of the charged nature of the practice of corporate worship. Worship brings us face to face with the living God. The point of worship is not formation. In other words, the point of worship isn't, isn't primarily so that we would change or get something from it. Rather, formation is an overflow effect of our encounter with the living God in praise and prayer, adoration and communion. Worship brings us face to face with the living God. Face to face. Now, if he's right, it sounds like worship is an invitation to encounter for us. It's an invitation for us to encounter with the living God today. Earlier, when we were singing songs, we weren't just singing songs. Later, when we take communion, we're not just taking bread and wine. 
when the Bible's read, we're not just listening to the Bible. I mean, we're doing all of those things, but we're invited into relationship with the living God. We're invited to encounter him. In Exodus, particularly chapters 33 and 34, we're told that Moses would speak to God face to face as one speaks with a friend. That can be true for us as well today. In fact, Moses was so reliant on the presence of God that as he was leading his people out of Egypt, through the wilderness and on the journey to the promised land, in Exodus 33, Moses said to God, God, unless your presence goes with us, do not send us from this place. Unless your presence goes with us, do not send us from this place. Moses' encounters with God were so significant that not only could he not imagine doing anything without the presence of God, but when he met with God, his face shone with the glory of the Lord. His encounter with God defined him. Encounter with the presence of God is also supposed to define us. The presence of God is not just an afterthought. Encounter with God is not just an afterthought. In fact, I'd say that it's the dominant theme of scripture. From the very beginning of the story of the Bible, we see that God's desire is that he would encounter and dwell with his people. God promised with Adam and Eve that he would meet them in the cool of the day. The presence of God, symbolized by a cloud, led the people through the wilderness. God instructs his people to build a tabernacle in the temple as a representation of the presence of God, a reminder that he would encounter them. And then Jesus comes along, one of his names, Emmanuel, God with us. We're reminded in Jesus that God literally came to be with his people. And then before Jesus ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit who will live within us so that we would never be alone, which makes you and I the new temples. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and together we're being built into the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a sign and a representative of the presence of God on the earth today. In other words, the whole of the Bible is a story about God coming to be with his people. And this is in contrast to all other worldviews, all other religions which say that we have to work our way up to God. In the Bible, the whole of the story is about God coming to be with us. And it's the presence of God, encounter with God that changes everything. When I was a young boy, I think some of you know this, I was a chorister at Beverly Minster. Um, so I used to wear a red robe, a white surplusy thing and a white fluffy rough I think it was called like a collar that went all the, all the way around my neck anyway um, one of our biggest Sundays of the year was Advent Sunday at Beverly Minster um, hundreds and hundreds sometimes actually thousands of people would come to Beverly Minster for the choral Advent Sunday procession and one Advent Sunday I can remember we were rehearsing in the choir practice rooms in the parish centre the service would start, I think, at 6.30 p.m., first, first Sunday in December usually, and so it was, was, would be dark outside. Um, anyway, we were rehearsing for, this, for, this, um, for, for the Advent Sunday procession, 
And at the end of choir practice, we all used to process over to the minster, get into our robes, and then off you go into the service. I really needed the toilet. So um, I needed to go to the toilet in the parish centre. So I went to the toilet, came out of the toilet, all of the lights were off, it was com completely pitch black, every door had been locked, and I was stuck in the parish centre, locked out the service, on my own, which is, I mean, it was literally hell for me, an hour by myself in the dark. Um, it, it was absolutely awful. I missed the whole thing. And it wasn't until about, I think it was about eight o'clock, just as the service was finishing, that somebody, I text Lee to check the facts of this earlier, but apparently it wasn't him that noticed I was missing, which, you know, says a lot about, no, I'm joking. Um, I think it was my mum noticed that I wasn't in the choir procession, was suddenly frantically running around the whole of the minster, shouting, where's my son? Where's my son? He's missing. Anyway, eventually, after a long time waiting, my mum burst through the back door of the parish centre. And guess what? Her presence with me changed everything. Now, how much more if my mum, who is amazing, I love my mum, but if my mum's presence changes everything, how much more does the presence of God change everything for us? So Romans 8 verses 6 to 11, we're going to look at some of these things together today as we think about the presence of God. We're going to see three things. Firstly, that God's presence brings peace. Secondly, that God's presence brings transformation. And thirdly, that God's presence empowers us. So firstly, God's presence brings peace. Look at verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. A few weeks ago at one of our evening services that was going on for quite a while, it was about 11 p.m. There were still quite a lot of people in the building worshipping and a group of young men, I think they were university students, walked in, maybe they were coming out of a pub or something, but they, they walked into church about 11 o'clock and they just stood at the back for ages and just, just watched just in silence, as people were worshipping, as people were on their knees praying, as people were repenting and confessing their sins, people, these, this group of young men were just at the back, just watching, completely still. I went up to introduce myself and ask them what had brought them in here and how they were finding it. And they said this to me, we just feel so at peace being in this place. One of the things that the presence of God brings is peace. And that's in contrast to our minds, which are naturally governed by the flesh. That brings death, Paul says. The Greek word there for death means separation from God, which of course is the opposite of peace. So what does Paul mean when he says, when he says a mind governed by the flesh? Surely that's all of us. Surely all of us are governed by the flesh. That's what we are. You know, we can't stop being flesh. So what's going on here? Well, I think what Paul means is this. Are you governing and ruling your own life? Or is the Holy Spirit governing and ruling your life? And there's a huge difference. So what are the, some of the ways in which we try and govern our own life? And in doing so, we miss the presence of God. Well, one of the ways in which we govern our own life, and this is a pre pretty disastrous way, is sin. And sin causes separation between us and God. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, um, in, in Isaiah 59 verse 2 wrote this. Your iniquities, your sin have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 
Sin, no matter how small we think it is, whatever it is that we've done, separates us from God. Now, we all know this to be true intuitively deep down. Um, If I'm hiding something from Ellie, my wife, or I've done something that I know will upset her, then guess what? It causes a little bit of distance between us until we sort it out. Relational separation is a consequence of sin. That's one of the ways in which our mind is governed by the flesh. Another way is distraction. Distraction causes us sometimes to miss the presence of God. And sometimes we're distracted by things that are really bad for us, sin. But sometimes we're distracted by things that we think are good, but they get in the way of encounter. In Luke's gospel, um, Luke tells the story of Jesus coming to the home of Mary and Martha. And there's this beautiful picture of Mary sat at the feet of Jesus in his presence, having an encounter with him. And Martha is missing it all. And Luke says at the end of this little, this little narrative that Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to make. They weren't bad things to be doing. She was doing housework. She, just, she was doing cooking. And she, was preparing, she was preparing for Jesus' visit. They weren't necessarily bad things. And yet she was distracted, distracted and so missed the main point. And Jesus ends up saying to her, Martha, few things are needed or indeed only one. By which he meant being in the presence of God. Distraction causes us to miss the presence of God. Now, these two things are one of the reasons why we have confession each week. We don't confess and have a time of repentance each week because we're religious. It's not a religious thing. We, have, we confess and repent each week because of relationship. It's a relational thing. Dr. Glenn Packham, an Anglican theologian in the States, wrote this. Why recite a prayer of repentance in the middle of worship? Worship services are supposed to enact and embody the gospel. This grand story in its fullness is composed of the tension of human unfaithfulness and the resolution of God's faithfulness. To make our services in their very shape tell the gospel story, we have to include a time when we confess our sins together out loud. We need a community to lead us in confession and we need a community to remind us of God's grace. So confession forces us face to face with God. In confession we find the face of the steadfast love of God. This is the power of our communal confession. It leads us back again and again to the God of grace. Confession is not just about sin. Confession is about opening up ourselves to God and to others. So confession is also about vulnerability and honesty and humility. It's a practice that prevents us from keeping our shadows hidden and our frailty forgotten. It isn't just sin that we need to confess. It's our limitations and luck, our weaknesses, our warts, our fears, our fragility, our distractions, if you like. The church is not just a community comprised of those who have something to give and those who need something. The church is not about people who have their lives together and those who are broken. The church is a community of mutuality where our brokenness becomes a way to open our lives up to one another 
and allow God to meet us with his grace. Confession is about encounter with the living God. Confession is not just something we do to be religious. Confession is not just something we do because the Church of England says that you've got to do it in every single service. We do it because it's a relational thing. It's supposed to lead us into encounter with the presence of God by his grace. The Spirit of God brings peace. Secondly, the presence of God transforms us. We're particularly looking at verses 7 to 10 here. So Paul goes on to describe how the, how the mind governed by flesh is hostile to God. Um, but we're not in the realm of the flesh, he goes on to say. And then look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, the spirit gives life. And what is this life? This life is a transformed life. Last week, I had the absolute pleasure, as I do every single week, this is one of the, my favourite parts of the job, of meeting up with a number of different people from across the church family, different stages, different ages, um, last week. And in nearly every single conversation I had, people were articulating to me that this sense of being transformed in the presence of God over the past few weeks here. And some of them were sharing radical stories of transformation of how God has got hold of them and completely changed their life. One person actually said to me in my office last week, I've never felt so alive. And this is just from encountering the presence of God. The presence of God brings life because of righteousness. If once we were dead because of our sin, we are now alive in Christ because of the righteousness that he has given to us. When we're in the presence of God, we're to feel this life that the righteousness of Jesus brings and it transforms us. And the transformation isn't something we have to earn. It's a free, undeserved, unmerited gift. I've heard stories over the, in the past few weeks of lifelong addictions being broken not by trying and trying and striving and striving, but just through an encounter with the living God. Now, does it always work like that? No, sometimes sanctification takes a while and we, you know, we need to partner with God and all of those things. But sometimes when the presence of God breaks in, radical transformation happens. Thirdly, the presence of God empowers us. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The spirit of God empowers us. And it's not just any empowering, it's resurrection empowerment. What Paul is saying here is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, don't you think that that should change the way that you think about yourself? If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then what is he capable of doing through you today? Jesus said that we would do greater things even than what he did. What is the Holy Spirit capable of doing through you today? 
We've recently shared some stories of healing um, on Instagram and Twitter and social media of um, two particular healings in our church family. One um, that Farron shared, one that Rohit shared just a couple of weeks ago. Um, They both experienced the resurrection-empowering presence of God in their lives. And they were remarkably healed as people ministered to them. Not in complicated ways, sometimes in the most simple ways. Farron was healed immediately as a prophetic word was shared. The presence of God empowers us to live the resurrection life, which includes healing. Now, the most remarkable thing about the presence of God is that his presence is empowering because he chooses to reside in you. Now, just think about this for a moment. The Spirit of God could have chosen anywhere to reside. And he does actually fill the whole of the whole of the universe with his presence. But he could have chosen anywhere and he chose you. In the Old Testament, to meet with the presence of God, there was a tabernacle. And only certain people could access that level of the presence of God at certain times. The same was true in the temple. But now... The Holy Spirit is dwelling not just in tabernacles and temples, but he's dwelling in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul would write this in Ephesians 2. You are fellow citizens with all the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole scripture being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Together we are being made into a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, should that change the way that you think about your body, what you let into it, what you do with it? If we're being made into a temple of the Holy Spirit, it should change the way that we want to behave as well, shouldn't it? We're being made into the dwelling place for the living God. We're supposed to be a sacrament, if you like, of the, of the sign of the presence of God. You are. When you walk around your workplace Monday to Friday or when you're walking up and down your street or around the supermarket, you're supposed to be a living embodiment, a little tiny temple of the presence of God that people might see you like they did with Moses and say, gosh, what's different about her? Her face is shining. Why? It must be the glory of the Lord. The presence of God changes everything. Now, the recent renewal at Asbury University that we've talked about a tiny little bit here, but but not much. Um, About two months ago, a a normal university service in a normal university in a tiny little village in America A lunchtime, I think it was lunchtime communion service or something, I don't know, but just an ordinary service continued. The preacher thought he'd done a relatively mediocre job. He went off and had lunch. A group of students stayed behind and it grew into a renewal meeting which tens of thousands of people from all over the world flocked to and people were encountering the presence of God. Everyone that went there said that the defining thing about what was happening in that chapel at Asbury University was an an intense hunger for God. One person who who went wrote this. They begin with an intense hunger for God. People are tired of empty church rituals and shallow emotionalism. 
They are distraught over depravity, including their own. And they're just desperate for an encounter with the living God. Now, in my own life, I've seen an increased hunger for the presence of God in my own life just in the last few weeks. Just wanting to encounter God every time I walk into this building or when our small group meets or when I wake up in the morning or when I'm reading my Bible, just wanting to meet face to face with the living God as we all have access to because of what Jesus Christ has done. At the minute, I've had the real privilege of being taught by some, I'm doing a, um, a doctorate for ministry at the minute and I'm doing it at Asbury Theological um, seminary which is right across the road from Asbury University literally they're separated by five yards and one of my professors is a guy called Steve Siemens who's I think seen three different renewals now at Asbury in all of the years that he's been teaching there and um, I was reading one of his books just a couple of weeks ago and um, after he after he taught us and he prayed for he, he prayed that we might all experience the same spiritual renewal that they're seeing at Asbury in our churches here and he wrote this What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Although it is a spiritual metaphor, being filled with the Spirit is not really about space, like filling up a cup with water. We will be misled if we conceive of it in that way. Essentially, this metaphor describes a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, characterized by surrender and abandonment to the Spirit. For though the Spirit is present in all believers... In some, he is not preeminent. Though he is resident in all, in some, he is not president. Although he is resident in all, in some, he is not president. Now, question for you this morning. Do you want to ask that the Holy Spirit may not just be resident in you, but president in you? Do you want your life to be characterized by surrender and abandonment to the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit? If you want to know any more about this, as I've said, please do come and grab one of these books by David Watson, Be Filled with the Spirit. There's one other book that I'd love to recommend just as I end, and it's a book called More by Simon Ponsonby. Um, who's a fantastic theologian based at St. Old Age Church in Oxford. And he wrote, how can we have more of God when we've already been given everything that we need in the person of Jesus Christ? And it's a whole book about being filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. It's a fantastic read. And in there, he has four steps to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I've added a fifth for reasons that will become obvious. Sorry, Simon, if you watch this. Uh, step one. Say, I'm sorry that I don't want to be filled and I know that I can't be filled without you. So in that, we're recognizing that repentance comes first. Step two, say, I must be filled, knowing that God commands it and that you need it. Step three, say, I may be filled, believing that that it is God's promise to all believers. Step four, say, I should be filled, willing to surrender all for that pearl of great price. And then step five, say, I shall be filled, claiming the promised gift of God, purchased by Christ for you today. 
So can I invite you to stand where we are and we're going to pray for one another that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you may want to get your children at this point if you've got children in kids groups. Um, they too can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're just going to work through those five steps together. And as we do this, we're going to pray that we would um, know the peace that the presence of God brings, the transformation that the presence of God brings, and the empowering resurrection power that we also get from the presence of God. So you may want to put your hands out in front of you. There's nothing special about that. It's just a sign that you're willing and ready to receive all that, has, all that God has for you. We pray, come Holy Spirit. So firstly, we say sorry. Sorry that we don't always want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We recognize that we can't be filled with peace and transformation, be empowered without you, God. Lord, free us from distraction, from sin. And we say together that we must be filled. Come and fill us, God, because we must be filled. We know that you command it and that we desperately need it. Come, Holy Spirit. And not only must we be filled, but may we may be filled. We know that this is a promise to all believers in Jesus. Thank you that we have the privilege of being filled with the presence of the living God. And then we say that we should be filled. I should be filled right now. We can't do anything without you, God. Come, Holy Spirit, make my heart willing to surrender everything for the wonder and joy of the Holy Spirit residing in me. And then we say, we shall be filled. Because God makes that promise to us and he loves to answer that prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. For some of us right now, there's a sense of peace. There's something that we've been anxious about and worrying about, and it's almost like, just as you're praying through this, that that, that worry is just receding a little bit into the background if that's you we just pray for more peace for some of us maybe even like Farron and Rohit's story we've come with a pain some kind of physical pain or some kind of physical need today 
it may be that you're experiencing a level of healing and pain disappearing right now in Jesus' name. If that's you, we just pray for more. Come, Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that we would never be the same having encountered you today.